0: show you the world's greatest five-year-old granddaughter. I'm sorry. This is Vivian Elizabeth Mounts, who's now taken up the habit of dressing herself. And she likes Fancy Nancy, who she had to school Paul on this, but apparently wears pink tutus. So she was headed off to the Iwana ceremony, and uh, it was raining, and she loves her pink rain boots, so she got pink stockings and rain boots. And that that was her ensemble for the Iwana presentation to get two awards for going through uh, two books in Iwana this year. And she has the vocabulary of an Oxford uh, etymologist. And uh, she has the imagination of a lifelong creative writer. And she tells stories that are really long. And she has one aunt who would listen to them all day. Some of us begin to thin out after a while. Not her aunt. She'll just, really? Uh Uh-huh. What happened next? Really? And she'll spin yarns that just will not quit. It's amazing stuff she was uncorking with the mother of all stories with her aunt, who she calls Woo, and uh, suddenly the story stopped. And she said, "Wu, this is not true. I just made the whole thing up, and that was the end of the story. <laughs> I thought of her this week in this cultural moment. I thought of Vivi's comment. It feels substantially to me like in this moment, we're just making all this driven by the cultural winds of the autonomous self, rugged individualism, I did it my way, I'm doing it my way. Whatever you want, make it up. Construe reality how you want to construe reality. I'm free to do that. Create yourself. Make yourself. Jesus was asked a question in his day that involved gender, sexuality, marriage, and divorce. And he answered it in a fascinating way. He, his answer, as he starts uh, in Matthew 19.4, uh, and by the way, he, 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 uh, we'll talk in a moment about uh, who he asked this question to. But again, he begins his answer in a rather startling way. He was addressing the learned religious class, which all they ever did was read religious literature and interpret it for others. And so they asked Jesus a question, trying to get him in a snap. And, and, and he looks at them and he says, Have you not read Why, of course they had read. It was stunning to them. By the way, Jesus maintains that clarity comes when we read his book. Our cultural mess can be attributed to a cessation of reading habits. Hence the title of the message this morning on Mother's Day, We've quit reading. We've quit reading. By the way, we haven't quit reading at Calvary. The Word of God is the center of our understanding of reality, of the reality of God, of the reality of ourselves, of the reality of the world. We understand and interpret reality in our experience based on the Word of God. Because it's the center of our understanding, on this Mother's Day, we're going to use it to listen to what he has said. And we'll go two different directions. First, where do we get our ideas about reality and the way life works? As I've prefigured, we get it from the Word of God. Secondly, what are four constructs that God revealed for our good In his book about gender, marriage, sexuality, and what leads us to flourishing. Let's consider this together this morning. First, for the follower of Jesus Christ, that's who we are here at Calvary. For the follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible is our compass. It is our fountain of truth. Now, we're going to look at several passages of Scripture this morning and turn from one page to another and allude to what God has said. Remember Jesus' bias. It shows up in the temptation account in Matthew 4.4 4, when he said in a very stark way, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, Eric, what was Jesus' view? Here we have God. Fully God, fully man, inseparably united in one person without division, Jesus Christ, God incarnate. What did he believe about the word of God? Well, he said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, the history of Western culture, in all of its development, in all of its great literature, and we've stumbled onto a point at which our history could best be explained by a group of people seeking to live by bread alone. How's that working for us? The physical world being the only reality. And Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Remember Jesus praying in John seventeen seventeen. He prays on the night of his arrest, Sanctify them, set them apart, make them distinct. Sanctify them in the truth. Them, he's talking about followers of Jesus, followers of himself. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Eric, what is the self-evident witness of the Bible about the Bible? It is declaring to us that the word of God is truth. Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is true. What is true is in God's word. Truth. Think of 2 Timothy three sixteen. Many of you have memorized it. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God, A generic term that the man, the woman of God, the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Hear the word of the Lord. All scripture is God breathed out. It's inspired. If you hold your hand up to your mouth, it's amazing how we learn how to speak as a young child. We push jets of air and learn how to intone and make sounds and put words together and we send them through our vocal cords and we speak. That's called spiration. Well, the apostle Paul said, let me explain the word of God to you. It's the speech of God. It's God's word spoken out, written down for us, inscripturated. All scripture is God breathed out What's its usefulness, Eric? And it is profitable. It's profitable. Augustine said, when Scripture speaks, God speaks. You say, Eric, you know what? I would really love to hear God speak. I'd love to have God speak to me. Oh, that's an easy one. Open the Bible and read the Word of God. That's what it's called because that's what it is. And Augustine said, when Scripture speaks, God speaks. Peter describing the mysterious and glorious uh, union of these writers of Scripture with the Spirit of God bringing forth a perfect product said in 2 Peter 1.21. And he uses a nautical term. It's fascinating. A term for a boat in the water going from point A to point B and getting to its destination. Uh, it, it, it's called Born along, I think that's the phrase in the King James Version, for no prophecy, this is the English Standard Version, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along, born along by the Holy Spirit. It's as if the wind of God blew in the sails of these men of God and they were moved to write the word of God so that what we get is the truth about reality revealed to us in God's book. Now, that's quite a package. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Well, what does it mean then to have a book like this? It means our understanding of the world and of life and of God and ourselves and all of reality is to be centered on what God has revealed. The assumption of Jesus is that his followers would read it, ingest it, shape their understanding by it. When he's asked the question, he asks him a question back. What, have you not read? Ostensibly asking that question back because in Jesus' mind, to read it is to have an understanding of these issues and not need, therefore, then to raise the question with him to understand. Now, apparently, our culture has quit reading. So, number two, what does the Bible tell us about gender? It's Mother's Day. At Calvary, we celebrate Women's Day as well. There's a gift for all ladies this morning as you leave. Please watch for it. This morning, we open our Bibles and we seek answers in the important areas of gender, sexuality, and marriage, for our good and God's path for human flourishing. Let's celebrate four of God's constructs this morning on Mother's Day. This is what God constructed in the beginning for our good and revealed to us. Number one, gender is created by God in the womb as we are miraculously made in his image. Go with me to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. You know this verse, a common one that you have heard. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Hear the word of the Lord, the truth of God about reality. All humans are made in the image of God. Eric, what gives dignity and worth to all of humanity? Well, that's easy. It's the image of God. From the moment we are conceived to the moment we die, we exist living in the image of God. We are, as Peter describes it, fellow heirs of the grace of life, our inherent worth, stems not from what we do or what we own. You, I hope you studied the lyrics of that song that we just sang. Our inherent worth stems from image. We were made in the image of God or as C.S. Lewis says it, we've never looked at a mere human. We are not with mortals. We are with people who will live somewhere forever who are due. Dignity and worth as a result of the image of God. We are like God, made in His image. Now, that doesn't mean that we are like God in body. God does not have a body. God took up in the incarnation with Jesus Christ our humanity. But we are not like God, made in His image, in having a body. But we are like God in that God is self conscious and so are we. We are like God in being given a capacity to think and reason. We have a will like God. We have a spirit. We have a manifest personality. So does God. We're made in his image. We have being. The formal $6 term is ontology. We exist, and God exists. We're made in his image. Within the glory of God, made in the image of God, as Genesis 127 notes, there are two distinct genders, both simultaneously reflecting the image of God and the glory of God. Please note that the origination of gender is in creation and given by God. Defined by God as male and female. Men and women are different in many ways. They are not the same. They're equal in value and glory and stewarding the image of God. But different in how they are made. In the image of God we have that which is separate. Male and female and that which is distinct, made in the image of God. Even as in the Godhead, there are distinct persons and yet one Godness. Judy Smith from the feminist movement wrote, We in women's liberation deny any inherent differences between men and women. All of us are trapped by the society that created our roles. We are questioning the ideals of marriage and motherhood, and the very society that has created those roles and values, the the very society that has created these roles and values must be questioned. In a quote It's a quote from 1969, which has flowered and now is living in our streets, in our universities in our school curricula gender comes with creation it was ordained by god 9 days ago god gave us a little granddaughter riley bell her dad's a big game hunter and he's kind of a man's man and when they found out that god had given them conception they began to wonder was well, it going to be a boy or a girl and so they're speculating and he had already planned you know global big game hunts by the time he realized that god was giving him a daughter And so uh, uh, our daughter, the mother, was thinking about, well, how's this going to be? What's this going to be like? And I was trying to impress upon her that there's no declaration of the will of God seen more clearly than the gender of a child. God picks that out. God brings that about. And I sent her a book by Rachel Den Hollander called, How Much Is a Little Girl Worth?, Rachel Din Hollander is a famous lawyer. She offered the victim statement, the closing victim statement, to Dr. Nasser before he was sentenced in the United States Gymnastic Association sex abuse scandal. She, if you're following this at all, is Athlete A, who uh, went with the Indianapolis Star in the story in the first expose. She's a, a joyful Christian. Her husband's at Southern Seminary. And she will spend the rest of her life, I think the ESPYs gave her an award, she'll spend the rest of her life advocating for sexually abused girl. And she wrote a precious little book called, How Much Is a Little Girl Worth? I said, Abby, I want you to sit in a chair and I want you to read that out loud. I want you to close it. And then just thank God for what he has done. He's giving you a little girl. That's what he has done. It was such a sweet discipline for her. The second construct is this. The female gender is a special creation of God with a unique glory. The female gender is a special creation of God with a unique glory. The feminist movement's party line goes something like this. Christianity is repressive. They're into submission and imposing subservience upon women in marriage, in work, and at play. Out with a Judeo-Christian family construct. Why? Why? It's trash. It demeans women. It insults women. To which I reply, Have you not read? Let me show you the Word of God, the glory of the Word of God. Come with me to Genesis 2.22. I want you to come to that passage that Steve read this morning. 2.21, Genesis So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he here's the word we're going to stop and talk about, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. It's the coolest word. The Jewish Publication Society, the Hebrew translation of the Materialic text into English, it has the best word. It, it, it says that the Lord God fashioned her. I love that. That's more accurate. You look at this English word made and it looks generic. Not very cool word. Oh, this is a special word. And what's interesting is you go to Genesis 1:1. 1, 1, in the beginning, God created. Okay, yeah, Eric, I, I see. That's what God did. He, he created. That word is in Genesis 1-1, 1-27, 2, 2, 2 3, 5, 1, and 5-2. Create, 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 create. Oh, yeah, I get the point. He created. But you get a new word in Genesis 2. And it's not just any word. It's a special word. It's a glorious word. He fashioned the woman. There's a difference between the terms. And it's really important to maintain the difference. Uh, It's the difference between Detroit, Michigan and Florence, Italy. Why? What do we know Detroit, Michigan about? We know Detroit, Michigan It's Henry Ford's assembly line. Just creating those cars. Just cranking them out. One after the other. Cranking them out. Cranking them out. And the Lord God created. And he created. He created. You just start reading through Genesis 1. Created. 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 Then you get to Florence, Italy. Here's the word of Florence, Italy. It's a sculptor's word. It's a meticulous word of beauty, a crafting of a work of art. Now, if you just look at the vocabulary from Genesis, what the vocabulary, holy men of God moved. Remember, we believe in verbal plenary inspiration, that the very words were the words God intended and it's god intended to embed in our understanding of the gender of female something glorious so when he got there for the creation of the woman taken from adam's side and fashioned out of a rib he uses this glorious word now it looks made in english it looks just laying there no it's 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 a florence italy word this is donatello this is Michelangelo doing that work a pound, a mallet at a time crafting something glorious in gender in a woman. Christianity declares a glory and creation of a woman that is unique and special. Years ago a Puritan guy wrote Matthew Henry a woman was not made out of Adam's head to rule over him, nor out of his heart to be trampled upon him, but out of his side to be equal to him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. Husbands, is that us? Christianity declares the glory and creation of a woman that is unique and special and even uses the vocabulary to, of the scripture to get to that point. Females are unique and a special expression of God's glory in creation. Now come with me to 1 Corinthians eleven 7. 1 Corinthians eleven seven. 7. It's a fascinating verse. For man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. You see, the Apostle Paul lays out this notion that the husband is to glory in the glory of his wife. That her existence brings honor just by the existence of her. And a husband would honor his wife in such way. He would glory in his wife. Not as something less than him but a special deference, too, because of her glory. Men, do we express value like that? Are you glorying? Are we glorying in our spouses? Robin Holmeyer, David Graham's daughter, called him this week on her way to work. She listens to Tim Keller in the morning, and Keller was talking about his wife, Kathy. And whenever he alludes to her, it is in the most honoring way As he glories in his life partner. And so Robin called David. Now, by the way, as I have observed, David has spent his married life glorying in his wife. And uh, Robin and he began to talk about whether or not that was normal and usual in the Christian home. By the way, is it in your home? Men, do we glory in our wives? Now, by the way, does that sound like demeaning women? Not from the Bible. They haven't read those verses. By the way, is it possible for a Christian husband to demean his wife? Absolutely. And it's as dishonoring to God as it is possible. Third construct, human genders correspond in such a way that they join by God's natural design to perpetuate the human race. You heard Steve read Genesis 2.24. By God's design, little boys are to be groomed to grow up and leave. And they leave home and join with a little girl grown to maturity to form a union. Ingalls and Marx, the fathers of socialism, argued, as do today's cultural Marxists, that the monogamous nuclear family emerged with the development of capitalism. There's a recent rendition of the 1619 Project which says capitalism was born in slavery in Jamestown with the nuclear family. And if we just get rid of that, and by the way, the great movement in Western culture to get rid of slavery was by believers who saw it as a great sinful tragedy. Look at William Wilberforce. We're not hearing those things, and slavery is yet, with 40 million slaves in the world today, a great tragedy. But Ingalls and Mark argued that it came along, capitalism came along in that way. We're being told that it came along in the early 17th century. But the Bible makes a strong argument that the nuclear family had an origin that came much earlier. It came at creation. Now, come with me to pick up to Romans chapter 1. And and the first five messages I ever preached here in October of 15. 16, we're going through Romans chapter 1. So we've gone through this. I just want to pick up this notion of natural and unnatural. For this reason, Romans 1, and 27, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women. And we're consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves a due penalty for their error. Hear the word of the Lord. Notice the stress between natural and unnatural. The natural was a man with a woman. The natural was ordained by God at creation. He made this construct. It's the natural order. It is natural law. Even our bodies correspond anatomically, male and female coming together for union and marriage. And I realize that in vitro fertilization and surrogate motherhood has changed all the definition. But from the beginning, God ordained a man and a woman to come together and in that union for there to be the perpetuation of the human race. Now let's do come to Matthew 19. and If you haven't turned to a passage yet this morning, turn to this one. Let's look at the question, have you not read? Have you not read? In the Pharisees, 19.3, Matthew 19.3, and the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? How does he answer that question? Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? That's an allusion to Genesis 1.27. And said, "Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." That's an allusion to Genesis two twenty four. He puts together defined gender, distinct as male and female, with the coming together of male and female in monogamous marriage in Genesis two twenty four and twenty five. In this union, Adam's race goes on through procreation. Where'd you ever get that idea from the B I B L E? The truth, finally, Mother's Day. A mother has an irreplaceable role to play in the family and a distinct role to play with children. Eve has two names. Adam gives her both of them. In Genesis 2, he calls her woman when God brings him, her to him because she was taken from the man. So there's an association But then in Genesis 3.20, he calls her Eve, the mother of all living. Eve would provide an indispensable role that was irreplaceable. She had a part to play, as do mothers that cannot be replicated. Titus 2.4, the curriculum for older women to teach younger women what's supposed to be in the curriculum. To love your husbands and love your children. Mother, it's your day. You're indispensable. You're so valuable. And nobody in our culture is saying that in this moment. But we want to scream it out loud at Calvary. And while screaming, stand next to you as you soldier forward in this difficult and rewarding and hard job simultaneously. At Calvary Baptist Church, we want to be a place that affirms mothers and their unique role Jimmy Williams started pro-ministry. Kirby Anderson took it up after he retired. He was lecturing on university campuses about Christianity and the gospel and was taken on one night after he had had a new baby by a lady who took up the cause of feminism, and she was excoriating him in front of the crowd of college students. She was explaining how there were no differences between man and woman. She was explaining how there were no unique roles for any to play, and all of that was uh, Christianity smashed over the top of women to just pound them right in the ground. And then she took off on a diatribe. He had mentioned, I believe, in the lecture that he had just had a baby about whether or not he was involved in the rearing of that child. And she began to press him about whether or not he was feeding the child, and she actually pressed the wrong button at that point because at that point the child was... Being nourished by breast milk. And he stopped and noted that he was not involved in that because God had not chosen to give him mammary glands in such a way. And all the lecture that she had just given him about how there are no distinctions between man and woman, she kind of wilted back to her seat and Jimmy went on with the lecture. Have you not read? There's a really cool guy. That's at Cedarville University. I don't actually know his role now. I know he's very close to his wife, glorying in her and honoring her. But uh, General Lauren Reno. Daryl, how many stars is he? Three-star general of the United States Air Force. He was my favorite Air Force story from General Reno, and this is how I remember it, being told. I don't even understand these things, but at one point in his career, He was a navigator for a big aircraft that was leaving Australia and flying to Hawaii. They left Australia and got in flight for a duration of time and then tragically lost all sense of instrumentation on navigation. They were literally flying without the means to figure out where they were. And here's how I understand the story. On board, there was something called a sextant, which measures the radius between starry constellations and on this dark but clear night in which the constellation could be seen. Lauren peered out of the window and measured angles and got that plane to daylight in Hawaii on course enough that when they dropped out of the clouds, they made just a modest adjustment, and they landed. And he was greatly commended and celebrated. That's how I remember the story. And and, and it's just like him, and he's so understated, he'd never take any credit for anything. Our culture has lost all sense of navigation. We're flying blind, making this up. When all the while, once and forever, God has revealed for our good, a fixed consolation of truths which shape how we understand reality. And to the extent that we embrace it with all our might to that same extent, we will understand what it means to flourish in a broken world walking the way of God. Heavenly Father, oh, help us forward and be people defined by your truth, shaped by the word of God, standing with the word of God, and modeling what it looks like to obey it. Lord, it's easy to preach. It's more difficult to embed a vision of biblical reality in the lives of children. Help us to those ends. It's difficult for husbands to always stay on the edge of glorying in their wives. We're sinful and selfish and indulgent. Lord, help us rear our children and practice the truth and be seen as flourishing only to be explained by living life God's way. We know our sinful hearts and we know your available grace. And we ask for it this morning. Lord, how do you want to use this message today? I would pray that you would affirm mother's. I would pray that you would enliven fathers to understand this is the vision they must embed in their children as they grow up. Pray for school teachers and grandmas and grandpas. Lord, hear our prayers to be your people, distinct, becoming ever more peculiar to our world, living life according to your word. Help us to those ends in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand and sing.